Hey everybody, welcome to episode 249 of The Virtual Couch. This is a special bonus episode. I am still your host, Tony Overbay, a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'm going to do things a little bit differently today for today's episode, thus why I'm calling it a bonus episode. Um, before I get started, I would still love it if you head over to TonyOverbay.com, check out my free parenting program, my pornography recovery program, uh, the Magnetic Marriage course, which is incredible. We're three weeks into the first round, which sold out in just a few hours, which still blows my mind. The next one's coming soon. And if you specifically go to TonyOverbay.com slash magnetic, then you can get on a wait list and find out when the next round will be launching. But I have a guest on today. And her name is Jessica Fru. She is fun. She's dynamic. She's full of energy. And she, she's she been through a lot. She has an incredible story. Um, she's done a lot of hard things. And I mentioned in our interview that every once in a while I go into a movie, follow me here, and with absolutely no idea of what the movie is about. And I just, I love that experience because I feel like I'm on this uh, new journey the entire time. There's no, no predisposition, no confirmation bias. Nothing is uh, tainting my view of this movie. And uh, my wife doesn't like it at all, by the way. She wants to know something or anything about a movie, always. What, what do you know? And too often I can't help myself, and I may not know anything about a movie, but then I will sneak a quick peek on my phone, maybe of RottenTomatoes.com, look up a review, and uh, I, I will tell you, I feel like I'm not an all-or-nothing guy, but every time I do this, I will see some low tomato meter score or audience score and I will just be so bummed because once I check now my I've got this uh, review is colored my experience of the entire entire movie. And so I would love to just challenge you today just for fun. I would love it just to say if you are not familiar with Jessica Fru, then do not dare Google her. Although I know that by telling you, you don't Google her, your brain's probably saying, oh, I'll, I'll Google her if I want, old man. So I would just bring some gentle awareness to perhaps the fact that uh, you may want to Google her, but I would challenge you not to because we talk about everything in this interview and, uh, and I'll list links in the end of where you can find out more about Jessica. But I would love to challenge you to see where your mind goes throughout this entire interview because there are a lot of, of twists and turns and during each one of those, I would love to just have you check in and, and think, what would you do? What would you do as she presents certain things about her relationships and, and marriage and life and career and all those things? What would you do in that moment? But then remember that you're seeing things through your lens. And Jessica's the only one who's been through all the things that she has been through up to that point or each point in her story and her journey. And so before we dive in, uh, I'm still a bit neglectful of, uh, quote, paying the bills, as the kids say, so to speak. So let me just tell you very quickly that this episode is, is brought to you by the fine folks at BetterHelp.com. And if you've ever been on the fence about seeking professional help, look no further than your computer, your phone. Go to BetterHelp.com slash virtual couch and get 10% off your first month of services. BetterHelp.com can put you in touch with a licensed therapist in your area in as little as 48 hours. It's affordable, it's flexible, and the therapists there have a variety of specialties that uh, including anxiety, depression, OCD, grief, loss, and they have a very, very streamlined, unique intake process that will get you to a therapist, a counselor, a licensed professional who will know how to help you. And uh, breaking up can be hard to do. And I'm talking about with your therapist. It's so important that you have a, a solid relationship with your therapist or you trust your therapist or else it really doesn't matter what model of therapy they choose. So if for any reason you do not like your therapist you find on betterhelp.com, they make it so easy to, uh, to break up with your therapist and, and find another one if that is what you would like to do. So go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch today, get 10% off your first month's services. And let's get to this interview with Jessica Fru. 
have to tell you, so I've been I've been binging a bit on your podcast. That's been a lot of fun. And one of the things I thought was hilarious is I I don't know what episode it was, but uh, you you were you're being made fun of for your laugh when you listen to it on time and a half or one point seven five. Yes. Yeah, and, and I hear often that hearing me at one and a half or one point seven five is a little bit brutal because I get going. So yeah. maybe this is a, a warning to all those who will be listening to this episode. Uh, on high speed, maybe they can slow it down a little bit and they might catch more. Um, <laughs> Between my laugh and, and you talking fast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and maybe a snort or two. But uh, uh, Jessica Fruit, thank you so much for coming on the Virtual Couch Podcast. Yeah, I am so excited to be here. Me too. Oh, I have to tell a quick story. So um, I when you, had, when you had sent an email, I said, oh, I totally know who you are because it's a cra- crazy thing. I was going to be interviewed on, I think it was Latter-day Lives. So I wanted to go get a vibe for the podcast and the episode before mine was yours. Oh. And, and I, I listened and I just thought, Whoa, what a story. I mean, and I won't spoil anything, but uh, <laughs> it's a fascinating story. So then I had already kind of done a deep dive on you. Isn't that funny? That's my, that is so day. random. It is right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I want you to just tell your story. Uh, where do we, t- and are you tired of telling your story yet? You know, no, because I have felt for years that the reason I had these experiences and got to go through these things is so that I could help other people. And the more I share it, the better I get at sharing it and figuring out the things that people need to hear and what resonates with them. And so I love it. Like, it's just, I feel like this gift that I can give that's free and um, that's easy for me to do. And so I love being able to share this story and share my experiences in the hopes that I get to help somebody else along the way, that I get to give them some hope or some new insight or something um, that they can take from my experiences. I love it. And there's a part of me that I don't know if you have ever experienced this, but I love going into a movie where I don't know anything about it. It's kind of hard to do these days. And so yeah. there's a part of me that when I record the intro to this, I almost want to not say anything about anything. And I want people, because I have some some amazing, wonderful, loyal listeners, and I want them just to just to sit back and listen and, and hear your story and and watch where their own brains go with whether it's judgment or I would have done this or how could she have done that or. Oh yeah. Right. And I want to just welcome everybody on this journey. I'm going to try to not ask as many questions for a bit because I just want people to, to kind of check in with themselves and see what are the stories their own brains saying about, well, I would have, or why didn't she, or, you know, all those things. And before I even do that, this is a plug to go watch this on YouTube because your background is fascinating. Uh, (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) What is your background? Tell me about that real quick. So these are flowers from like a party oh, they're real? hosted. They are like giant, yeah, wow. three-dimensional flowers that cover my office wall and they make me so happy. I'm a firm believer in having things in your life that just bring you joy. And mm-hmm. this is definitely one of them. I walk into my office and it just lights me up. Okay. I'm a little bit, my mind is blown because that was uh, what two-dimensional or when I first was now, you just reached yeah. and pulled them. Yeah. And that's... Nope. It's definitely... <laughs> It's real. <laughs> I need to get those. Okay, Jessica, uh, take us on your journey. I just want to hear you tell your story. And everybody listening, just I want you to just check in, maybe even jot some notes down about things that you were thinking along the way. Here we go. Yeah. So my name is Jessica Frew and I am a mom, stepmom, wife, ex-wife, and a bold action taker. And people always ask me, well, why do you include the ex-wife in there? Like that's the one people get hung up on. And I'm like, it's because it is a big part of who I am. It has, um, you know, changed my life in many ways and not a title that we 
intend to carry. None of us want to have that title, right? If you get married, you don't want to come out the other end saying I'm an ex-wife. And there's a lot of shame around it. And I have made it a point to try and take away that shame for myself and hopefully for other people along the way too, so that we can start thinking of this in a new way. So um, I married my first husband when I was in college and he um, was a returned missionary and we dated and like from day one, we were together every day and just really had a great connection. And a few days before we got married, he opened up to me and told me that he struggled with pornography. And in our church, as many of you know, that's kind of a big deal. And so I was like, okay, well, what does this mean for us? How do we... And Jessica, can, we... I, can I ask you real quick? And I, I yes. promise I wouldn't jump in, but tell me time frame. So, I mean, it sounds like you guys just were, you were just in love and all every day together. What was that time frame? So we met in February and we ended up getting married in December. Okay. Um, so yeah, we met like mid February and got married at the end of December that same year. So it was like, I don't know, 10 months Okay. That from, from courtship or from meeting until married. So it was pretty quick. Um, but also not like a couple weeks. So yeah. which, which <laughs> can be a through. thing in the culture. Yeah. 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 And, uh, yeah. And so he told me literally three days before we got married about the pornography. And he's like, I just want to be honest with you before going into this, which I've always appreciated. And I think really set the tone for our marriage and our relationship. What do you remember um, about that though? What did you, what'd you think? I mean, was it a, okay, oh, it's man. too late or I don't, I, it's okay. Or what'd you think at that time? So I, I, uh, was processing. And I remember thinking in the moment of having this conversation, okay, how do, how do I want this to look for our relationship continuing forward? Like I need to kind of check myself on how I'm going to respond because I want him to be able to tell me these things, right? Like I don't want to straight out of the gate before we're married, make him feel worse about this thing or make him feel like he can't talk to me about it because I do want him to talk to me about it. I do want to have that door open. And so I, I'm very grateful that in that moment, I had that clarity of being able to listen to him and hear what he had to say and see his shame. Like he carried so much shame around that. It wasn't just guilt. It was deep shame. And it, I felt for him and I didn't want him to carry that shame. I wanted him to know that there was more about him than just this one thing, that he was Mm -hmm. still a good man. He was still all of these things that I fell in love with. Um, Yes, it, it added something to our relationship that we had to deal with, but that's that's life, right? Like (laughs) there's always something to deal with. And I remember thinking, all right, I need to dive into this for myself for the next few days before we get married and decide whether I'm continuing forward or not. And I had, I had actually previously called off an engagement, um, a year or so before, and actually it was at least a year and a half before. And so I knew I wasn't scared to end it if I needed to. So I, I wasn't worried about that. I wasn't scared to say, hey, I'm, I'm backing out, which I know is a real fear, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's fear it, when you realize, oh my gosh, I can't marry this person. But for me, it wasn't that. I did a lot of fasting and prayer that weekend and just really felt confident in my decision. I felt at peace still. I didn't, I wasn't freaking out um, and I didn't tell anybody. And so I just, you know, I continued forward and we got married and it was interesting because I did ask him a few like key questions during that. Like I knew, I knew if there's any child pornography involved, I was mm-hmm. very not okay with that. And that was a big like red flag. Yeah. Um, but there wasn't that. And I kind of was like, okay, I think I'm good. I, I feel confident in this. So I'm going to continue forward. And we did. And we, you know, you hear about the first year of marriage is the hardest and we didn't experience that. We had a wonderful first year of marriage. 
I do have to say in there, like one day, six months into our marriage, I found a whole bunch of this pornography, like just stumbled Mm -hmm. upon it in, on our computer and it was all gay pornography. And I was like, okay, this is a whole nother level. I'm six months into my marriage and realizing my husband is probably gay. Like whether you, had you ever wondered that before? I, never I hadn't, that. it had okay. not crossed my mind. We had a very healthy relationship in all yeah. of the ways I could think of as a new sure. bride and wife. And so I just never, it didn't cross my mind. Um, and at this point I just thought, okay, he's, he's probably gay. Mm-hmm. And I confronted him about it. There was a lot of crying and all of these things. And he was just convinced he was in denial that he was not gay. He said, you know, I've just, um, I just felt it was better to look at men. So I wasn't disrespected women. And he had created this whole thing in his mind to, so he wouldn't have to deal with it. So he wouldn't have to be real about this part of who he was because he was raised in the LDS church, which is very conservative. And that's not, you're not gay. Mm-hmm. And, um, about a year and a half later, he came or a year later, he came to terms with the fact he was gay. He was in counseling for the pornography and realized, oh my goodness. Well, the counselor told him the pornography is an issue, but the real issue is you're gay. Like you're gay. <laughs> so, Jessica, can I tell you what's so fascinating about this? And this is, I'm not going to hijack this interview, which is kind of, but you know, the, I, I, I have a pornography recovery program. Yeah. I, I always say I'm over 1600 in shame, you know, being a component of recovery. So I love that you're sharing that. I've never talked about that. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to hear that. Um, I hear that often in my office when people are struggling with uh, their sexual identity or same-sex attraction, whatever they, they, they want to call it, and then uh-huh. turning uh-huh. to gay porn and saying, no, no, that's so that I don't, you know, go act on. So that's, I, I appreciate you sharing that part because I, you know, I hear that one from time to time. Yeah. 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 So we were going through all this and, um, And I started diving into books, like just reading, like, what does this mean for me? How can Mm -hmm. I support him? And he was doing the same, like on his end of things, like, what does this look like for me as a member of church now that I've admitted this? Um, And we really just both decided we wanted to stay in the marriage. Like we were happy, we were content. Uh, And for him, this is what he, you know, felt like he should do. This is what he'd been told his whole life. You know, this is it. And like, again, he was happy. We were happy. Um, But obviously, he's still struggling with the side of himself Mm -hmm. that is gay. And um, we continued forward. We had a daughter together about five years into our marriage. We dealt with some fertility issues along the way and all those, the joys that come with that. And um, then we had this little baby girl and it just brought us closer together. And at that point, Steve had really gotten to the point where he could, and Steve is my ex-husband. I haven't used his name, sorry. (laughs) Um, Where he could open up to me about it. He could tell me what was going on and, and his struggles and the things that he was feeling and thinking. And so it really brought us closer together. And we had such a strong emotional connection that it really brought us together in all of the ways we needed to connect. Um, Were there still times throughout that, Jessica, where you felt like, ah, this isn't, there's a, there's a chance this isn't going to work or did you feel like it? A hundred percent. Okay. And, and having read all of those books, I mean, I Mm -hmm. spent, so when Steve came to terms with the fact he was gay, he had moved, we were in the process of moving. He had moved to Belize and I was in Boise and I was finishing up like things with our house and our car and getting rid of all the stuff and putting things in storage. So he was gone. And I'd like this weeks where I was living, I was actually living at my parents' house um, while I was doing all of this. And I'm reading all these books just upstairs, like sobbing and yeah. just realizing there are all of these options that my life could look like now that I wasn't planning on. Right. I wasn't. <laughs> and, yeah. and yes, these could have been things that might've happened if I was married to a straight man as well, but it was very much, 
a real possibility, like more real now because of this added dynamic. Um, so I was thinking, okay, well, most likely he's going to have an affair at some point. Um, mm. That affair, we can either ideally work through it or he he might leave me for a man um, or he just might leave without the affair. Um, but then there's also the idea of we could stay together and we, how do we tell kids this? How do we like, where do we address this? Do we keep a secret? Like all of these things that I'm processing and going through. But I, I knew that by staying, I made this choice to stay. We didn't have kids at that point that I was making the decision that, you know, um, I very well could end divorce. I could end up divorced. And if that's a decision I'm making to stay, then I own that decision just as much as he does, right? Like whatever okay. happens, this isn't his fault. It's a decision we made together. So yeah, I I was very aware of the different paths my life could take at that point. And he shared things with me, things that happened that were like building in him, I would say, um, where he's getting more and more wanting to live this life. And it's harder for him to stay in our marriage. Um, that were just, he told me about. And so I knew I'm like, all right, this is, this might be coming, but at the same time, we're the happiest we've been and we're communicating so well, mm -hmm. but he did ultimately decide to leave. He, um, did have an affair. We tried to work through it, but after the affair, he just wasn't attracted to me anymore, which was honestly something I didn't like, wasn't prepared for and okay. really struck me a lot harder than I thought it would. Um, so we stayed married for a couple more months and it was just a mess. And we were trying to like deal with it on our own. So we didn't have to tell our whole family that Steve's gay and all these things that we hadn't told them yet. His mom knew he was gay. My parents knew he struggled with pornography, but that was it. That's the only mm -hmm. things our families knew. Um, but we got to the point where it was just like, Steve, Steve's like, I just can't keep doing this too anymore. I don't know what I want. I feel, you know, so conflicted. And, um, and I said, okay, that's, that's fine. Like we will work through this. We can figure this out and, and basically rethink how our relationship works. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and there were a lot of, there was a lot of tears. It was very hard. And I don't, I don't want to make it sound like it was like an easy transition because it wasn't. Mm. Um, and it took some time to figure out. And I was talking to somebody the other day who's going through something similar. And I want to like, wanted to make it clear to her, like we, we had space, like we took okay. a lot of space to figure this out. Um, we weren't at each other's houses every day. We weren't going on trips together. Yes. There were times that we were together when he would, I moved back to Boise. He was in Oklahoma at the time. And so like, we would see each other when he came to visit Penny and all of those things. But, um, I think that was one of the best things I did for myself at that point was to create space so that I could process my feelings in a way that worked for me uh, and still be able to communicate with him in a healthy manner. How did you do that? What were, were you doing a lot of self-care at that point? Were you reaching out to others or what was that like for you? Yeah. So I definitely, I, I love working out and it's so good. It's something I know that works for my mental health. And so there were days I'd call my parents. I'd be like, Hey, I need to drop Penny off my daughter off. Um, I need to just go for a run right now. Like, is, mm. does that work? Is that okay? And they're like, yeah, like bring her up. That's fine. And I would just go run for a couple hours okay. <laughs> and just to like process things. That's where I think that's where I go through things. Um, and then there was lots of things like, you know, I get to find myself again. I get to nest. Like I really laid into that. I think it's it's a powerful tool to use that sometimes we overlook, like just nesting into my home of making mm -hmm. it my own. It made me, it gave me 
kind of safety and protection in that moment, right? To kind of embrace who I was and myself at this moment, because this wasn't the version of myself I imagined at this point in my life. I wasn't planning to be a single mom um, and on my own and, and needing to get a job to support my daughter and I, like all of these things that weren't in my vision or in my plan. And so I really embrace those things like, okay, what things can I control? What things are going to make me feel good in this moment? Not the things I thought were going to work for me, but how do I reevaluate that now? Well, let me ask Um, you too, Jessica. So I'm a, I mean, I love, first of all, uh, my ADD real quick. I was listening to an episode you guys were talking about the other day, talking about ultra marathon running. And I've done a bunch of those. And I wanted to say, no, no, I I can tell you because he he was like, I don't know what it really is or how much it is or what distance. And so it was so funny. I was just screaming, not literally, but just, uh, <laughs> and, and then I listened to an episode where you guys were talking about somebody that would email you and say that they want to text you, but they think, oh, they're probably recording right now. I, I love those kind of comments, you know, when yes. people say that same thing, because I wanted to jump in and, and be a part of your ultra marathon discussion. So that would have been <laughs> funny. Um, but did, so I do so want. much with, right. So I do so much with the, around abandonment and attachment and all the good therapist things. And so there's this concept that I'll spare the whole speech to get there, but it's the when someone isn't responding the way we want them to, where we do the what's wrong with me and my unlovable and my broken, when yes. instead of realizing they're human, I'm human. Did you go through those kind of periods? Where um, you felt like, was it, did it feel like it was, what, what, what could I have done different? Or was it pretty, were you of quick course. to get to, okay. There were moments of feeling like, oh, what could I, like, how could I have done differently? Could mm-hmm. I have been better in this area? Could yeah. I have met his needs better? Should I have given more of myself? Mm-hmm. And then I just kept thinking, I, I can't go there. Like there's, this isn't helping either of us for me to live in this space. Um, and so I did not stay there long and the moments okay. come like, I honest, like it always comes. That's part of yeah. life of feeling okay. these things, but you can process it and then move on more quickly. Like this, it doesn't serve anybody to say to the what ifs. And I know Steve did that a lot. And I tried to help him work through that as well. Like, listen, you did the best you could. I watched you fight for years for our marriage. I know you love me. I, mm-hmm. I know you love me. And I'm ultimately going to latch onto that and let go of all the other things that could be painful and that I could take upon myself and say, no, this is my fault. I should have done all these things. I should have been a better wife. I should have, whatever it is. Um, I'm, and just really let those go because they don't, they didn't serve us. They didn't serve, they didn't serve him. He already felt so much shame. He was, he was suicidal for quite a while after we got divorced in dealing with how could I let go of this woman that I loved? How can I leave the church? How can all these things happen? And I knew he needed to know that he was still loved. And he was struggling that with that, with his family, of course, coming out to all of them. Um, And so I was like, I I can give him that still. I don't have to give up who I am for him, but I can still let him know he's loved and let him know he's needed. Like his daughter needs him. I need him anyways. And there was a comment and I I can't remember what it was. I can remember where I was when I heard it, but you said something about not wanting to prove that people would abandon him. Or do you remember what I'm talking about? Was it a, a, yeah. Okay. What was that? Yeah. I mean, I really wanted to make it a point that, I mean, he was very much convinced that nobody would love him afterwards after they knew he was gay, that nobody would love him if they saw this side of him. And I very much made it a point that, that this has nothing to do with who you really are. And I'm not going to let you prove that right. Like I am not going to allow that to happen because there's so much good in you that still needs, this world still needs you. Um, and yeah, just really latching on to that idea that I, I wasn't going to let what somebody else experienced or what somebody thought our relationship should look like after, or what I even thought it should look like after mm-hmm. determine 
how I wanted it to be. I wanted to figure out how we could make this work for us. And, um, and yeah, I still, I mean, he's, he's like a brother to me still, like he is that close to me. And I know that's weird because we share a daughter, but it's that type of relationship. It's that I love him that much that I care so much about him. And honestly, so does my new husband. Like he genuinely cares for and loves for my ex-husband. Um, here's the part that if anybody hasn't listened in and doesn't know where (laughs) that's where I love, it's like, okay, no, you heard that correctly. And just wait. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so we spent our time working through this and Steve and I actually dated again after we were officially divorced. We spent another, he was living with a man. He was, we were divorced and I was dating somebody else and things were getting serious. I was, you know, you start falling for other people. You can fall in love with other people pretty quickly. And, um, I told him because he kept like mentioning moving back to Boise. And I said, hey, I don't know if you're coming back for Penny. I don't know what you're what you're thinking here exactly. But I feel like it might be that you're wanting to come back for me. And I said, if you're coming back for me, you do it now. I don't care about your job. I don't care about all these other things. Like do it now. And he called me the next morning and I sent him, <laughs> sent it late at night. He called me the next day. He's like, I'm moving back. I want to fight for this. I want to try and make it work again. Um, And I said, okay. And so we tried dating again for another six months and it was a mess, like a total mess. But we also had that clarity of, we tried everything we could. Like we tried to do this. We, we tried again. It's not going to work. And so we could walk away being friends of knowing we're not going to blame the other person. This is what it is. Um, and that is actually interesting because when he moved back to Boise, he moved into my same church congregation. And then my, ex or my current husband actually moved in at the same time as us. So all three of us were living in separate places, moved into the same place. And my ex and my husband, my now husband ended up became becoming friends. Like they would go mountain biking together. um, How did that happen? I mean, that's the part that's so fascinating. It's so funny. So uh, Matt, my husband said that he went to church the first time and he's sitting in elders quorum and, um, Steve came walking up. My ex-husband comes walking up. He's like, hey, man, how's it going? And started talking to him and and let him use his pen. Like, they always tell me that. Yeah, I let him use my pen. And I'm like, okay. But Matt said it was the first guy at church that he really felt connected to, that he was like, yeah, I like this guy. Like, he was very welcoming. He made me feel comfortable in this new ward. And it was just very much a like they just connected and enjoyed each other and they weren't like tight. They didn't hang out a lot, but they had a mutual friend that they would go mountain biking with. And so they, they'd go mountain biking. So they knew who the other one was and a little bit of the other one's situation. Um, and just kind of had hung out a few times. And that's when I actually met Matt. I didn't notice him at church because I was dating Steve and everything was a mess. But then Steve introduced me to him one day when they were going mountain biking. They were meeting uh-huh. at our apartment complex because it was like a mutual area. And um, my apartment complex, not theirs, but they're mm-hmm. meeting there. And Steve introduced me to Matt. And I told Steve, like, we ended things like a week later. I knew it was done at that point, like totally knew we were over. And I told him when he ended things, I said, Steve, I'm going to marry Matt Frew. And he just <laughs> looks at me like, you've met him once. And I was like, I know. I don't, I always make fun of people who said this, but I'm going to marry him. And he's like, he told me I couldn't. He's like, he's my friend. You can't do that. I'm like, you divorce me. I can do what I want. He's like, that's fair. (laughs) Um, So yeah, a while later, I ended up like nine months later, Matt and I ended up getting married. Um, He wouldn't date me for a really long time. I tried to get him to date me and he was dating this other girl. And I just kept telling him, let me know when you break up with her. I think we'd have a really good time together. We'll have lots of fun. Just let me know when you break Mm -hmm. up with her. (laughs) And he did. And um, we got married very quickly and have now. So now I have two stepkids. 
Uh, I have my daughter. We have not had an ours baby. We aren't planning Mm -hmm. to. Um, And actually, at this point in time, Steve and Matt work together. So Matt owns his own business, and he just recently hired Steve to come work for him. We host a podcast together sharing all of our experiences and stories just to help other people along the way to not feel alone. And Steve said, when I approached him about doing the podcast, he's like, I just kept thinking if I had something like this, when you and I were going through this, how yeah. how powerful that would have been and how helpful that would have been for me to hear somebody sharing their story. And he's, and so that's why he ultimately was like, yeah, I'll do it. Um, was Matt on board from the start? Yeah. I think that kind of evolved. So Matt and Steve had actually talked about doing something in social media realm of just sharing their relationship to get people thinking about their relationships in a new way to open their minds up to like, you know, you can have a good relationship with, with your exes or with your wife's ex, you can, you can make things work. Um, and also the idea that we are LDS and Steve is gay is also another dynamic that people are just like, I don't understand this. How do you make this work? Like, aren't you worried about all of these things? And they're topics we talk about and, and do it. Which I love Um, that. I mean, you're very, very, very conversational and just very there. I don't feel like there's a topic that's off limits. Is that true? And that's pretty true. We <laughs> kind of just, we've realized we can have the conversations and still get through it. And we know each other well enough that we know when to stop and when mm-hmm. to be like, okay, this isn't helpful anymore. This is going somewhere that it's going to damage our relationship. And so we move away from it. But okay. um, yeah, I'm thinking there's an episode actually dropping tomorrow, which it'll be dropped whenever this comes out, but it will be there for you about my daughter's baptism that I wasn't thinking it would be a controversial topic because it happened a few years ago and it was wonderful. It was a beautiful day. And when we recorded that, we get into it. And so I was like, Ooh, this is different, but, um, but we have the whole conversation and it's that we are able to do that in a way that's productive and that we can feel seen and heard. And we understand the other person sees our, our side and opinion, but it doesn't mean that we don't love each other still and that we don't care about each other. Um, well, and I love that. It's, I mean, one of the ones that I was, I, I can't lie, you know, you go through and you look at all the topics and there's a part of me that wants to see, okay, how, how real or how raw do they get? And I jumped yeah. in with some of the ones about uh, uh, Steve's disciplinary court or things like that. Yeah. <clears throat> And I really appreciated that because I, you know, I, it sounds like Matt's been in a Bishop Rick and there were just these conversations around what it could look like or should look like and what it did look like. And, and I, I love that. I mean, I really did because it's, it's just, they, they both had different opinions and, and that's yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. And that's basically, I mean, that's where we have to come to if we're going to continue to make our relationship work. And um, we respect the other person and their decisions mm-hmm. and realize we don't, see eye to eye and that's okay. And we really do like, we really, we don't edit anything out of the episodes. We've had a couple that we've edited, but otherwise it's, I mean, we, it's real. We very much, um, share all of the things that we feel are appropriate and that we can, uh, and, and just try to put it all out there. When I sent you an email where the, the, I wanted to be the special one and I wanted to have something that you haven't talked about on other episodes before. And I, you know, I, and and so we were talking about your, your current marriage and and some of those yes. things where I wanted to pull my marriage therapist card, but I'd sent you an, uh, a quick article about interdependence versus codependency, and I did an episode yeah. on that this morning. And and I'm just it sounds like you guys have a nice uh, interdependent relationship, which is you know balance of self and others within the relationship. Both people are different, both people are present, and we're not trying to break down the other person's reality or view or. I mean, yeah. I mean it, it, and, and you kind of had shared that, yeah, that one resonates. Uh, oh, yeah. 
Well, and it was interesting, like getting into my second marriage, I thought, oh my gosh, this is going to be so great. It's going to be so easy. And at that point I got along with his ex and uh, his kids were little and we had this great thing going and I was so excited and just dove in. And I had had a good relationship before I'd been able to speak and, and be seen and heard. And we had these hard conversations and he had the exact opposite. My husband, Matt did. And so getting into this relationship, it was like, Oh, oh this is not what I thought I was getting into. Um, because he panicked. Remember? Yeah. Okay. What did that look like? What were, what, what, give me some examples. Yeah. So he, he really shut down and he admits, um, and it, he didn't admit this to me until we were recording in the podcast. And I didn't know how much it would mean for me to hear these words, but, um, he said, he's like, when we got married, I went into panic mode and I just knew we were going to fail. He said, I knew as wow. soon as we got married, it was going to be, it was going to fail. And I felt it literally the moment we got married, I was like, something just changed when we really? left the church after getting married. I was like, Oh my gosh, what just you, happened? You mean literally left the church, not left the church. I, my yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Over. Like <laughs> left the chapel where we were getting married. Yeah. No, we're still active in the church to this day. Um, and so it was this like reality of, Oh my gosh, what's happening. And I found myself getting into a more co- codependent relationship, right? Like me trying everything I could to try and make the relationship work. And he's just given up already. He's already decided it's going to fail. So he's just pushing it to fail faster. And he, he admits this now. And I was like, I thought I was going crazy. Like I thought I needed to do more. I needed to provide more um, to the family and I needed to do more things for his kids. And I, I needed to do for more for him. And at some point I left, I was just like, I am so lost. I am such a mess. I'm out. And, um, how far actually, into the marriage was that? Yeah. It was almost exactly a year in. We were okay. getting ready um, to be sealed in the temple. And I had gone into the stake president for our interviews. And we had we decided to wait to get sealed. Our bishop highly encouraged us to, to just wait until after we got married. So we're like, okay, that's fine. Um, so we were going to get sealed on our one-year anniversary. And I went into stake president. And he's like, and I just started bawling. And he's like, you cannot, I will not like sign these papers for you to get sealed until you can come in here. And I know you're happy. He's like, this isn't like, you can't do this. And I was like, thank you. Like I needed to hear that because I wanted to yeah. get sealed. I thought, you know, that's what we're supposed to do. I wanted that to help. Um, and again, that's the idea of like, I just need to do all of these things yeah. and then it'll be okay. And so um, I left and a couple of days after that, because he just stopped talking to me, Matt just shut down. He was so mad at me and shut down and just, and I think he felt like it was another failure, right? In mm-hmm. his mind. I don't know necessarily if he's mad at me or mad at himself, but he was mad and I'm sure it felt like another failure. And so, um, I was gone just for a couple of days and then I was like, I got to go back. And I remember walking back into our house and Matt didn't want me there. And he, his kids are still up and he would hardly talk to me. He puts his kids to bed and then, um, came back downstairs and went and sat out on our front porch. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to have to be the one that keeps doing this. So I went out on the front porch to talk to him and, and I wanted him to fight for me. You know, I wanted, I wanted him to just be like, yeah, I want this. I'm going to, I'm going to do better. All these things that we create is like, I feel like it's like a rom-com, right? Where it's like, oh, he comes in and swoops in and realizes all of his mistakes. That did not happen. (laughs) But I, in that moment, I remember thinking, Jessica, you know how this goes. The only person that's going to fight for you that you can, you know, is yourself. And I, it was like, I needed that to snap me out of this, like, this codependency I was kind mm-hmm. of getting into back into that um, 
point where I was okay on my own because yeah. that's where we were going to be okay, right? Me trying to do more, me trying to give up who I was to try to fit all of the needs and check all the boxes wasn't helping anybody. And yeah, so Jessica, I have to tell you, I, I did a whole uh, I did an episode on acceptance and acceptance doesn't mean apathy and this whole concept of radical acceptance. And the example that I, that I use that still sounds harsh to say is someone accepting the fact that uh, they may never get married or accepting the fact that, yeah. you know, and, and it doesn't mean, okay, then, you know, the back up the apathy truck. It just means that I love what you just said. And I'm not going to keep trying to figure out how can I present in a way that will get my needs met or will prove to him that instead of saying, man, this is who I am and be confident because I get your yeah. confidence. Yeah. 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 And I knew I was confident and I knew I was of worth and I knew all of these things, but mm -hmm. I was trying to prove it to him. Yeah. And I was like, I don't need to prove this to him. If he's going to see it, he'll see it. And I know he did at some point. Otherwise, we yeah. wouldn't have been married in the first place. Yeah. Um, and I knew he was a good man. I knew he was of worth. And I saw the good in him. So I was like, all right, I have to start putting boundaries up around myself to protect myself. Mm -hmm. um, it felt totally counterintuitive. But I knew I knew this better than anybody how to go back and do this and how important it was. And so I really embraced that in that moment. And I remember thinking, this is why so many second marriages fail. Like I get yeah. it. It's easier to walk away. It's easier yeah. to, you know, all of these things. Um, and I'm so glad I didn't, that I embraced taking care of me at that point. And yes, I still showed up for him. And yes, mm -hmm. I still made mistakes along the way. of feeling like just struggling to, to get back to where I know I needed to be, but um, I saw progress in myself. And as I saw progress in myself, I saw progress in our relationship and I knew that is what would happen. Um, and I saw progress in my daughter. Like she really struggled for the first little bit after we got married. And I think mostly because she could tell I wasn't okay. And the yeah. more okay I was, of course, then the more okay she was. And it just has that trickle down effect. And I, um, that's that's what I teach women, right? Is how to take that radical ownership and accept where you are in life. And I've done this time and time again, like when Steve told me about the pornography and then yeah. again, when I found out he was gay and then when I realized I might not be able to have kids and I, I got one kid, but I haven't been able to have more after that. And I thought I would have more and accepting those things. Um, and now accepting in our relationship that I don't get to have the relationship I wanted with his ex-wife. I don't have control over that. And that's sure. okay. It's okay for it to be different than I thought. And the relationship with my stepkids is not what I had hoped for, but it's okay. Um, I get to protect myself and my daughter and show up in the ways that I can. And so it's been this huge process of exactly what you're saying, that acceptance of well, I love it. And I love that it's, and taking it's funny to hear the, almost like the foreshadowing of when you were accepting of Steve and saying, all right, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to prove to him that he is unlovable. I really love yes. that because I feel like that's that same thing where there's a whole energy around if I show up confident, that, that calm, confident energy that, you know, you, my spouse can, you can run the thing into the ground on your end, but not on yeah. my watch. Right. But it doesn't yeah. mean that anything's wrong with me. And I love that you're talking about, uh, you know, I, I throw, I brought up the article that I'd share with you and the codependency of being more reactive or people pleasing or manipulative or controlling behaviors or blaming each other. And, and so I love that you kind of stepped into that. All right. Uh, healthy boundaries and, and clear communication. And, and uh, I don't know, you can engage and respond. And it, I don't know, I love everything about this. So keep yeah. going. So yeah, so then <laughs> that's a year. And then how, what was that? How long did that process take from that acceptance to then he kind of says, all right, I, I'm, I'm figuring this out. So, I mean, he, 
didn't like tell me to leave or that he wanted out or anything at that point. Mm-hmm. He definitely told me he wasn't sure he was in, but he wasn't he wasn't ready to leave. Um, and I think it also kind of reminded him that he he did want me there a little bit. Like, oh yeah, I, yeah. I did do some things. And I think he needed to see that, that I was, he could depend on me. And that's where he was struggling, right? With his past issues from his marriage as he was cheated on and, mm-hmm. and numerous times and lied to and all these things. And financially things happen, like all sorts of things. And so he yeah. needed to rebuild that. And so the more I understood where he was coming from, the more patient I could be with letting him get there of being like, okay, well, well, tell me about more of what happened with you and your first marriage. Like explain to me, explain to me why you don't want to put me on your checking account, but you also are good with me being a stay at home mom, but then I don't have any money. So like, like explain to me what happened in your first marriage and getting to understand that. And I'm like, oh, okay. I understand this more now let's have a conversation around it and figure out a way that makes it work so that it, I don't feel like I'm asking for money. Um, and Jessica, can, like I, I'm can, I force, uh, can I force something in here that's, that I'm so yes. excited about? So my, my, so I've got this marriage course and and I've got these things I, I think are the secrets of the universe. It's these four pillars of a connected conversation and in them. And, okay. All right. And, and you just did such a, an amazing job. So if he's saying, I don't want you on my checking account, I mean, that would be you and that no, pillar one, I got to assume good intentions. He's not doing that to hurt me. Number yes. two, I can't say that's ridiculous. Number three, yeah. I have to ask questions. And number four, I can't go into and say, fine, I guess I'm a horrible person. And I'll never get money. I mean, it's like, I love how you just said, okay. I, and then he shares, tell me more about that. You know, you get to say, what's that like? Tell me where you're coming from. And then once he feels heard, then you speak your, okay, I hear you. That would be hard. I worry yes. that I'll be asking for money or I feel like, I love that. Yeah. I mean, you're, yeah. you're working the pillars, you know? Thank you. <laughs> well, and there's, it's interesting because um, in doing our podcast, I went back and read a bunch of my journals from when Steve and I were married. And then again, from when Matt and I were married and all these things, I'm a pretty good about journaling <laughs> mm. and I'm so grateful I had. Um, but I wrote in there at one point, I was asking myself these questions of, okay, so why am I uncomfortable? How do I show up for myself? How can I can like, if am I, is this a deal breaker for me? Or can I figure out how to make this work on my end of things, even without him opening up to me? Like, what does that look like for me until he's ready? Because I knew that was Steve. Like sometimes I just had to give him a month or two, or even just a couple of days or a few weeks to be ready to tell me these things for him to feel safe enough that he felt secure in telling me those. And so, um, I actually, and I have like a journal that you can get now that's called the Bold Ollie Journal of how to ask mm. yourself these questions, make it a habit so that you understand what is it that's really bothering you? Is it no. really the fact that he's not giving me money or is it something else? Like how, what is it I'm feeling? So then I can engage in that conversation in a way that feels more logical and more um, empathetic to him and and understanding of myself of what I'm hoping to get out of it. Uh, where am I hoping to go with this conversation? Am I just wanting to scream and yell? Am I wanting yeah. to be heard? Am I wanting to create some change in our marriage? Um, but yeah, so that's been something that I realized has been a strength and a blessing to me in going through this is being able to ask those questions and not just react like it said in that article yeah. of, you know, how are you reacting when they do come, when things do come up? Um, if you can address things in a healthy manner, then then they're going to want to open up to you. They're going to want to tell you these things. Or even I've thought about too, um, when you do react in a way that you don't feel good about or that, you know, didn't create a good conversation, accept that, like, or own that. Go say, hey, I'm sorry that I 
that I reacted in this way. That was not my intention, but in the moment it felt like too much or it felt yeah. really heavy and, and it hurt me. And I'm sorry, I want to have this conversation again in a, in a healthier manner. Like, can I, can we try again? Or, um, just own that because I found the more that I own even the little things and take responsibility oh, so for much. my part, yes. it allows them to take responsibility for theirs and to open up. And so that was such a huge thing for us in the beginning of our marriage and all of my relationships, but it makes such a difference to just own those little things. Even if you want to go, well, you did this or your thing is so much bigger, which is our knee jerk, right? Especially in my first yep. marriage where Steve's got pornography and he's gay of being like, well, you're bringing all the issues to the table. But every time I acknowledge something I did and maybe how I didn't respond in an appropriate way or how I could have been more sensitive, every time I opened that door, Steve opened up to me more and was more loving to me. And we both felt safe and heard and mm-hmm. seen. Um, it's and I have so to throw there that I, And it is. And I love that you've got the, you know, that the kind of those three takeaways that, that you had sent over and take control or ownership of your life, that first one. And I, and I want to say, I love, I mean, everything about your saying and, and doing that, even if your partner doesn't then open up more or if they yeah. don't, because there are situations where you can take ownership and they don't, they may even they don't. Then weaponize or use that. But yes. the, the alternative is not to then go back into victim or codependent mode because we yes. know how that one plays out. So I just, yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I really believe, you know, like you, you keep doing it. And if you don't get any response, if it does get to the point where you're like, okay, I can't, I can't do this. That's when mm-hmm. you make a decision. Okay. Yeah. Of, okay. This isn't, nothing's changing. I'm still yeah. feeling very unsafe in my relationship or unseen. Um, mm-hmm. Then you take action in a different way. But, you know, I really feel like there's a lot of work that you can do by just consistently showing up for yourself first, obviously, and taking ownership, because when you take ownership, you have control, and then being able to see how they react and give them a little bit of time and space and grace to do that. Hey, I want to get to your other two as well. And here's me being very vulnerable. I usually don't schedule in the middle of the day and I have a client in uh, 17 minutes. So I want to like, <laughs> let's both go into one and a half times mode because I want to hear about your and your three takeaways. You talk about the second one, finding your joy. I'm dying to get the number three of silence the noise, but, but take me through number two. First, okay. Like, okay. I'll pound these out for you real quick. So I, I always say the three, the three pillars for me, my three pillars okay. of being bold are first taking ownership. Like we just talked about taking ownership okay. of your actions. Number two is find things that bring you joy. Like stop waiting for things to happen or saying, Oh, when he changes or Oh, when mm-hmm. so-and-so changes or when the situation changes, then I'll be happy. No, figure it out now. Find yeah. what brings you joy now. Not what brought you joy yesterday or the day before or years ago. Like we change that. We keep thinking, Oh, well, this is what I need to bring me joy. When really, we can change that mindset. We can figure out, oh no, there's other things that'll bring me joy now in this situation. And maybe down the road, I will be able to go run ultra marathons again, or I will be able to take this amount of time for myself, but right now I can't. And so I'm going to find ways that bring me joy now. So I think that's really a big thing for us is to figure out, okay, how do I, how do I change this thinking of, oh, if this changes, if that changes, or someday I'll be able to find joy and find joy now, because it really makes a huge difference in how you feel about your relationships and how you show up, how you can take ownership and do those things. You feel in control. Um, and it, can, it can you think of something that, what, what was something for you that, I mean, and I love, so I do a ton around, uh, and then when you're trying to find the, in your example of finding the joy, it needs to be something that is one of your values, not what somebody else says you should do or yes. to find joy in. And so, you know, what, what has that been for you? I'm trying to think of like a good example of when I had to rethink it. Well, mm-hmm. and maybe it is, um, 
and like I've said, just accepting the situation of where I'm at or I'm going to go back to working out because I, I do love working out yeah. and the mental clarity that it gives me and how that has changed over the years. I mean, a couple of years ago, I was training for a Spartan race and or like the the trifecta and I was going mm. all the time running because I had the time. I had the emotional space and the physical time to go do those things. But now I don't have the time to do that. Um, it still brings me joy, but I can figure out how to make that work. So I've shortened my workouts and I do them at home and I include my kids in them. And that mm. brings me joy. Like it's fun to get those things and to create that joy in a new way. It doesn't yeah. look the same as a few years ago and that's okay. It's just different. And maybe there'll be a time I get to go back to doing it longer or more, whatever, but to embrace that it changes and how that works for you and to make it work. Don't just say, oh, I can't do it at this time. Oh, I can't go as long as I want to and give up, but instead say, okay, no, I want to include this. How can I make it work for me now? So it's really just that rethinking of saying like, oh, I just can't do it. And instead figure out a way to make it happen. Figure out how to include those things that are your priorities. Figure out how to make those things that set you on fire, a priority in your day. So you get them done. And then you get to show up better for your kids, for your family, for whoever, because you've taken care of those parts of you. You get to Mm -hmm. focus more on them. That's how I always feel. I'm like, okay, now I I feel more focused and attentive to my family because I've done the things I need to. Yeah. Self-care is not selfish. I mean, this is on my baseline theory. You must write, you must get uh, yourself in a good spot to be a better fill in the blank. So what is, what does silence and noise mean? Okay, so <laughs> this is really shutting down that I should mindset, right? Which is yeah. so hard for all of us and silencing other people's opinions. And I always tell people, listen, um, stop thinking about where you should be or how you should be or comparing yourself to other people because it's not getting you anywhere. You have to figure out what it is that you want for the situation. I mean, um, I stayed married to a gay man for seven years and people will judge me for that. And I don't care because it was such a great relationship for me and I learned so much and I came out of it with amazing friend and co-parent and, um, and I just, you know, and I dated him again. I know people were totally just like, what are you doing? But I needed that for me. Mm -hmm. I needed to have that closure and to have that sense of like, okay, we did everything we could like, no doubt about it. We tried everything. Um, and it was okay for me. Like I was able to keep my sense of self through all of that, but you need to understand what it is you want and start listening to yourself. The more you can silence the noise. And I tell people silencing the noise looks like unfollowing accounts on social Mm -hmm. media that don't leave you feeling fulfilled or that you're comparing yourself to and feel it instead of feeling inspired by, you shouldn't leave feeling like, Oh man, I can't do that. Or I, you know, you might feel like, Oh, I want to do that. That seems like something I could do. Like that's different feeling excited or, you know, about something is different feeling inspired. Um, I even tell people, I'm like, listen, your mom, your sisters, your brothers, your dad, like people in your family don't always know what's best for you. They don't know what it is you are feeling and what you want. And sometimes you have to silence their opinions too. understand. They want what's best for you. You can listen to them to the extent that works for you, but you don't have to listen to everything um, and understand what it is you want so that you can take action. So I mean, I always say it's the psychology. If you ask somebody what their opinion is, sometimes they have their own experience of, I got to give an opinion. I don't really have an opinion. I'll say this thing. And all of a sudden we're thinking, oh my gosh, they, they, they just told me this thing that it doesn't feel good. Well, then you can note it and thank you. And yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Listen to what feels good to you. That's what yeah. it ultimately comes down to. If this doesn't feel right to you, then it's not for you. And really trusting that. And the more you listen to that, 
the more you hear it, the more you're able to act on it, the more confident you feel in saying, oh, I, I'm feeling this. This isn't resonating. Now I can go take action. Now I can go do the thing that actually does resonate for me instead of giving into this thing that I'm like, ah, I guess, I guess that's what I should do. I guess, I guess that's the right thing to do. Um, so start silencing that noise. Start, start toning down those things that aren't feeding you or inspiring you or making you want to do the things you want to do in a healthy way, um, mm-hmm. shut them down and don't, yeah, don't search the internet for all of the answers, find the things that resonate with you and stick to those and then deal with those and then move forward. But I think yeah. we, we, uh, over-inform ourselves a lot of time and take in all of these opinions and then we don't know what it is we really want and we get caught up there. Um, but when we know what we want, we're able to take action that feels yeah. right for us and that feels good for, for us. Hey, tell me about the, so tell me about your podcast. How long has it been going? And I've been, like I said, I've been going backwards and binging on some things. And what's that been like for you as a fellow podcaster? Has it been everything you want it to be? Is it uh, relentless? Is it exciting? Are you get, do you get hate mail? Do you get feedback? What, what's that been like? Yeah. So we have loved it. Um, Steve, I think is been the most surprised by how much he loves it. He's like, this has been so therapeutic for me to realize, to take away some of the shame I've still been carrying around the situation of feeling like, well, I'm the one that left. I'm the one that ruined our marriage and all of these things, which I've been telling him for years. I'm like, listen, you gotta, you need to let this go. I think really in being able to own that and realize that people weren't just going to say, oh, you're such a jerk. I can't believe you did that. Like all these things that he was expecting. Um, he got none of that. And so it's been very healing for all of us. And it's brought us so much closer together. The podcast is called husband in law, because that's what my husband and ex-husband refer to each other as. Um, and it's really just been such an opportunity for me to be able to find other people that I can help, that I can support. That, and we get we get a lot of great feedback. Of course, there are always going to be people who don't agree, and that's fine. Like sure. I don't care; those are their opinions. Right. Yes, and they're entitled to their opinions, and they don't have to understand. Um, and nor do they have to relate to everything. But it's mm-hmm. given us an opportunity to help people, and that's ultimately what we wanted to do. And um, yeah just been such a great experience. I mean, I spend, I'm not making any money on the podcast, but I spend hours every day diving into stuff and helping, helping make it better and do things for it because I love it. And I've seen how it can help other people's lives. So, and I do think it's, it's, it's worth, uh, why did I sound like it's worth noting, uh, but, but I'm saying there's a bigger population of people I feel like that have similar experiences of yours than do you, have you found that's what I'm so fascinated by because as somebody who's worked in this field for a long time with, you know, primarily the LDS population, I mean, I've had a lot of men who are married to gay men who are married to women and even have maybe told them before the marriage or not, or they're in it together, yeah. but then eventually have that, that struggle. And so mm-hmm. have you been surprised by the numbers of people that are in similar experiences? You know, what has surprised me is the people that reach out that aren't in our experience, that aren't okay. experiencing the same things we're in that are like, oh my gosh, this either gave me more insight on how to um, see LGBT people in our church or how uh-huh. to connect with them and how to help them and to understand their struggles. Um, or people who are saying, this made me totally rethink my co-parenting situation and how mm-hmm. I interact with my ex and how I engage with them, especially for the sake of my children and for my own well-being. Um, people who have said it's changed their relationship with their parents because they've re-evaluated, oh, I can put boundaries around the relationship with my parents. I don't right. have yeah. to, you know, and and understand that I can have a relationship with them um, 
while still protecting myself and have something healthy. So it's, that is what has been the most interesting to me is that more people have connected with us and found things that they, that resonate with them that aren't in our same situation um, that. that has got them thinking and, and, you know, that then we do have people who reach out and that are in the same situation or a very similar situation. And my heart just goes out to them. Yeah. And I've been so grateful to be able to connect with them and, and support them along the way where I can. Okay. Jessica, I love it. I wish we could keep going. I will have to have you back, maybe even with the whole team and uh, kind oh, of yeah. through some things. That would be a lot of fun. Where do people they find come. you? Uh, they'd be here um yeah so we are on any podcasting platform under husband-in-law and then also on instagram on husband-in-law we're very active there and then i do have a facebook group called the bold action takers where we talk about living a bold life and how you actually get to implement these things i've been talking about so we mostly share stories and stuff on um the podcast and whatever but then i go in depth on how you actually utilize these things in your own life in my groups and more on Instagram as well. So perfect. So I'll put all the links in the show notes and uh, awesome. I'm going to get this thing out as soon as I can. It's been an absolute pleasure. I was excited to talk to you. Likewise. Uh, Thank you so much. Yeah. We'll have to do this again. For sure. Hey, I'm going to get stopped. Hang on one second. Thanks, Jessica. Compressed emotions flying past. Our heads and out the other end. The pressure's on.